This is episode 295 with sports journalist, 14-time marathoner, and author of the absolutely beautiful book, We Share the Sun, Sarah Gearhart. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. I'm happy to connect anytime through strengthrunning.com, on Instagram at JasonFitz1, or through the Strength Running YouTube channel. And if you enjoy this podcast, please support our sponsors who help us keep the lights on. First is Prevenex. I've never partnered with a supplement company until now. Prevenex is, in my view, the best kind of supplement company that you can find. They only use the most bioavailable, clinically tested ingredients, the optimal form and dose of each ingredient, pharmaceutical-grade manufacturing, testing of raw ingredients and finished products, and for every purchase you make, they're going to donate vitamins to kids in need. It's a supplement company that's voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. One great product example that I know runners are going to love is their joint health product. The main ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days, which is almost unheard of. Beyond that, it's also clinically proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. Get 15% off your order with code JASON15, it's not case-sensitive, at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com with code JASON15 for 15% off your order. Next, a big thanks to the Gold Coast Marathon in Queensland, Australia. I fell in love with Australia when I visited for six weeks back in 2013, and I stayed in Coolangatta, which is in the larger city of Gold Coast. It's stunningly beautiful, and I want you to experience it too. Go to goldcoastmarathon.com.au to sign up for the race on July 2nd. 60% of finishers say they've run a PR on this flat and fast course. And there's something for everyone. So you can either run the marathon or you can opt for the half, the 10K, 5K, or they have kids races for two and four kilometers. Plus, there are competitive wheelchair events for the marathon and 10K. Early bird pricing ends on April 28th, so don't wait. Go to goldcoastmarathon.com.au to sign up for your next destination race. My guest today is Sarah Gearhart. She's a sports journalist prior senior producer for USA Today Sports Media, and her work has appeared pretty much everywhere. The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, ESPN, Runner's World, and many other major media. She's the author of the new book, We Share the Sun, the incredible journey of Kenya's legendary running coach Patrick Sang and the fastest runners on earth. In this conversation, we focus on the running culture of Kenya through the prism of Coach Patrick Sang. This is truly a special place where running is prioritized and humility, simplicity, honesty, and hard work are cherished. There are so many valuable nuggets in this episode that I think you're going to really value Sarah's wisdom from spending time with the fastest runners on earth. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Sarah Gearhart. All right. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. So I just want to start by congratulating you on this book. We Share the Sun is a beautiful story. It's wonderfully written, and I couldn't put it down. And, <laughs> and I, think, I think any running nerd, any coach, or just student of the sport is going to fall in love with this book. So congrats on, on such an accomplishment. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's, it's really lovely to hear. Yeah, and you've written about Coach Patrick Sang. He's a Kenyan elite runner turned coach, and he works with some of the best runners on the planet. And, and I'm curious, with your, with your background in sports, what you, drew you to this topic specifically? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. The idea came to me really in spring 2020 at the end of April. Um, a literary agent in New York reached out to me. 
about a story that I wrote actually for Runner's World magazine. I profiled a man named Gordy Ainsley and his experience uh, running the first 100-mile ultra through the Sierra Nevada mountains um, in the mid-70s. And that was, you know, that became the Western States 100, which is considered the ultra marathon trail race. Um, and the agent was curious as to whether or not I was interested in turning that story into a potential book, which at the time, well, I think there is a space for that. It just wasn't how or where I wanted to direct my energy. Uh, but I was still interested in pursuing a book. And to be honest, I had had a fascination um, regarding East African runners for quite a while. So in 2017, I profiled Emmanuel Mutai of Kenya, who was the number one entrant in, um, in the field for the Boston Marathon, the race that year. And, um, you know, at the time, he was actually, I think, the fourth fastest man uh, in history. And his mark was about a 203. I think now he's like 11th fastest his time is. And so that experience just made me increasingly curious about some of the backstories of some of the world's best runners. And so I was thinking more along the lines of wanting to write a book with, um, you know, profiling some of the best runners in the world. And when I was discussing the idea with the literary agent, he didn't quite see it uh, selling. And so he thought, you know, why don't you reconsider the idea? And so I did pivot a little bit and I was thinking of, okay, so who is the man behind producing some of these champions? And, you know, it's just so interesting, the fact that, you know, Kenya has produced so many uh, major marathon winners who've gone on to win many marathons or become Olympic champions, world record holders. And I just felt like to prominent media and also to fans, there was a bit of a, an, a, uh, an element of uh, mystery in regards to who these athletes are. And I just felt like the human interest, storytelling element seemed to be lacking to me. And I just felt like there was a shortage of journalistic narratives regarding regarding them. And so I wanted to go that angle and I wanted to explore who are these athletes and who is the man behind, you know, developing some of the world's best runners. And so that brought me to wanting to profile and learn more about Patrick Sang. And to be honest, I didn't know that much about him before I reached out. I didn't really know that much about his background and I didn't have a personal connection to him. And so I was really starting from scratch, to be honest. And so the very little research that I came across um, was pretty basic. You know, the fact that he was an Olympian, competed in two Olympics, but also was a medalist um, in the steeplechase. Uh, so he had this whole like phenomenal background as an elite athlete himself before he became a coach. And I think just intuitively, I felt like there was something there to explore. I didn't know what that was quite yet until, um, you know, we had many conversations um, about potentially writing this book. And I actually, it took many months for him to agree to the idea. And actually at one point I almost gave up because I just didn't, I didn't think it was going to work out, but something kind of, something in me said, no, like keep pursuing it because there is something really interesting here. And come to find out <laughs> it was really worth it. Thanks for not giving up. I'm, I'm yeah. so glad this book came to fruition because uh, I think for any real big fan of track and field or road racing, really just any fan of, of the sport of running, there's always been this mystique around East African runners and, and their dominance in the sport. And so I think what your book does is, is really shine a spotlight on a lot of the main characters in the Kenyan running world. And I think that's what a lot of us huge running dorks have been looking for, you know, for years and years. 
you know, I remember sitting around in college talking to my college teammates about why are these runners so good? What could it be? Is it because they're running 10 kilometers to school barefoot every day? You know, and actually in your book, you say that a lot of that is is kind of a myth and That's you know, there's very few that. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I'm really interested in the, the culture around distance running in Kenya, because it's very different than it is here in the United States. Um, you know, and you write in your book that Patrick Sang is often described as a life coach. And, you know, here in the US, life coach has some connotations to it that usually aren't super positive. You know, what do you mean when you say he's, he's often described as a life coach? So by the phrase life coach, I mean that Coach Singh views an athlete not just as an athlete, but as a person. You know, there's this quote in the book um, that he says, you know, an athlete's life is very short. Uh, but he says, if you become a human being in society, you can serve humanity for a long time. And so it's really like that idea of like, how do you. How do you teach someone to give back to your community or to society and just be a good person? And I feel like, you know, not enough of sport is about that. It's really about like, what can you produce? What kind of result can you produce? Um, What kind of numbers can you put up? But, you know, I really like his his philosophy around like creating a holistic individual. So that's what I mean by life coach. You know, he teaches his athlete about finances and about giving back. And it's really, it's really dynamic. It's not just a one dimensional approach to, you know, coaching, which I think is unique. Not everyone is like that. Yeah, you're right. And and I think here in the United States, there, there have been exposés on a lot of different coaches and programs that that have a very different approach where we're going to run all of our athletes through the ringer and just expose them to such difficult training without that kind of support and great if you make it you're going to be good but if you don't you know you just aren't cut out for it and what sang seems to be doing is is really nurturing athletes from a much more holistic level. And, and I think ultimately it produces much better runners. And, and I'd love to talk about this a little bit more because, you know, throughout your book, I was really struck by this consistent theme of, you know, it wasn't just coach saying, but so many of the other athletes around him, this theme of humility and honesty and hard work and even simplicity. And the culture that saying is created around his athletes is just quite impressive in that regard. Can you talk to, you know, how you think that culture contributes to the success of these athletes? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm so curious about this because it's just so different from what I'm used to here in the U.S. Uh, and ultimately, it seems more effective. Yeah. So I was actually surprised by how simple the environment is, particularly at camp. So Captagat is about 45 minutes away from Eton. And as we know, Eton is considered the world's mecca of distance running. But even in Captagat, there is, there's less to do. And so I think the fact that there is less distraction, it makes an athlete hyper-focused um, in a way that you know, if you live in the U.S., for instance, it's very easy to run off and go do something really quick, um, and you just have so much at your um, disposal, and you're exposed to a lot of things that I think can make you really distracted. And so, I think there is a lot to be said about being in an environment that kind of removes you from all this chaos. And you're, you're able to sort of have like this tunnel vision, this tunnel focus, uh, where you're there to do one thing. And yeah, I mean, how do you get better at anything? You put all your energy and all your effort into that one thing. And, you know, like that is the environment that exists in Kenya, in the Rift Valley. Yeah, it's like they're, you know, a whole part of their society is oriented around, 
this amazing opportunity that is distance running. You know, it sort of reminds me of, you know, some of my favorite college memories where we would come back to campus early before all the other students and just have, you know, a week where all we did was go to practice twice a day. And in between, you weren't doing anything else. You didn't have any classes. You didn't have the distraction of, you know, all your other friends on campus. And, you know, I've also been a coach at several different running retreats over the last couple of years. And, it, and it's that same phenomenon. I mean, it's, it's obviously much shorter lived. It's three or four days as opposed to weeks or even months at a time. But there is something really special about carving out a certain amount of time for yourself to focus on something that you really care about, that you really want to to dedicate yourself. And, and I think that aspect of immersion is really important. You know, these athletes are also, you know, just often completely immersed in running, you know, no partying. They live with other runners. There are a few distractions and just generally dedicate themselves to the sport. Um, do you think that's like one of the big key factors to their dominance in the sport is the fact that they often just sequester themselves and focus on it to the exclusion of all these other distractions? Yeah, I mean, it relates to your previous question. I think that when you're in an environment where everyone wants to succeed and everyone is putting in 110% effort, I mean, you can't not want more from yourself. And uh, it's just it's just a really inspiring and powerful situation to be in. So um, I think the fact that it is rural and you don't have, like I said before, all these distractions, it makes you hyper-focused. And I think that is what allows, I think that's really what allows them to succeed because they can just focus all of their energy and attention into running. And I think that's a unique environment. Yeah, sure is. And in the environment too, you know, going back to simplicity, I was also struck by the very simple way in which these athletes lived and almost the lack of equipment that they have. You know, you come to, you know, a high level track and field program here in the United States or, you know, some high level elite program, they have every toy that you can imagine that will help aid their training from, you know, underwater treadmills to, you know, the highest quality uh, gym equipment in a state-of-the-art facility. And I would love to hear you speak about, you know, the differences, you know, they're still wildly successful and they're usually not even training with that kind of elite level equipment. And, and so for me, it's like, wow, is, it, is all this equipment even necessary? You know, do we need this or do we just need to, to focus? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that is, I mean, that's like an immediate observation. Um, if you travel to that part of the country, as you see just how um, minimal uh, the top runners live and what they have access to. And it is a question of like, do you need all of this? Like, yeah, I suppose you don't. I suppose you don't because they prove that it's not necessary. And it's it's interesting to see. And um, having spent time in Kenya and then going back to the US where you see, I see like my friends having like the latest tech gadgets, watches, shoes, and um, wanting to maintain a particular diet. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting. It's... Um, it, you do think about what is actually necessary versus like what you what you want, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it seems like, you know, we're just talking about distractions and it seems like, you know, the, the latest fanciest GPS watch and the coolest new vibrating foam roller, you know, and all these toys, you know, they can certainly be helpful. But if that's what we're focusing on at the exclusion of our training and what we're actually doing out there when we go running. And even more broader than that, how we live. You know, the the environment that we're creating for ourselves around our training, I think is is equally as important as the training itself. You know, are we are we sleeping? Are we reducing stress? 
Are we getting motivated by surrounding ourselves with, you know, that level of immersion, I, I think is really powerful. Um, and, you know, Sarah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to live in Colorado and I live in Denver. Now, Boulder is a short drive away and I, I, I'm very taken by the community in Boulder because I think from what I've experienced, it's the closest thing to this kind of a running oriented uh, culture. You know, there are group runs in Boulder that you can go on multiple times a week that you're going to be hanging out with elite or sub-elite athletes. Um, the, the environment itself just has this rich running tradition to it. And, and anytime I'm up there, you know, oh, I just ran by Emma Coburn. Look at that. Like, hi. <laughs> and it's just kind of wild. And so, you know, I, I think now I'm putting on my coach's hat and I'm thinking, if a runner really wants to be successful, it's like find your tribe of runners near you that you can immerse yourself with as best as you can, you know, with group runs, with group workouts, just motivating each other, lifting each other up, supporting one another. You know, one of the big lessons I took from your book is that the community around running is is just as important as everything else. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, one interesting observation that I experienced when I was in Kenya is I would see big groups of runners running totally silent. You know, it wasn't like they weren't like running and talking or listening to music or stopping to take a photo. So it was just a level, like a different level of professionalism and seriousness that I've never seen anywhere else. And I find that, um, if I run in a group, it's, there's always some kind of social element to it. And so in a way, I almost find that to be a bit distracting. Like I'm someone who likes to run and not talk. Um, I don't like to be like social about it when I run, like I want to train and I want to train really hard. And, uh, I, I don't want to be in a conversation. And so it was nice to be, uh, in Kenya because, the way that I like to run is like what I witnessed, like people are very serious about it. And it, it was, it, it was interesting to see um, the trainings in which people were that focused because, you know, it's, I don't really experience that elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think back to my college days where, you know, we were all like that on the track or doing a, a tempo run or a hill workout, you know, we were all business, but as soon as you put us out on the trails for an easy run, we're goofing off and telling stories about the shenanigans we got into last weekend and, you know, things like that. Um, were there, was there any of that kind of levity on, you know, some of the easier recovery runs where, you know, performance wasn't really too, you know, important for them? Um, I did not notice any kind of social element while they were training in any way, whether it was um, like an easy recovery run or a track session. No, I mean, they were silent and they were serious every single time that I watched a training session. It was super impressive to see. Very impressive. And, and you know, I'm somewhat of the class clown on the track team and, and was always having a good time. And so I probably would have been kicked off the team in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a story. There was one day when I was running um, it was on a Wednesday and I was in Eton and, um, Wednesday, I think is often like a, a more relaxed run. Um, and I ran for the most part, I ran by myself the entire time I was in Kenya, but there was one day where I saw this group, it must've been like half a dozen runners, um, uh, both men and women, and they looked like they were going pretty slow. And so I see them run and I was thinking like, oh, like I can keep up with that. This seems like a pretty like easy pace, manageable. And so I, I sped up and I like tuck myself into the group and uh, they kind of like look at me and I look at them and, like no one says a word. And I'm just running and it was sort of like, you're welcome to like be with us. And we were running and you know, it's, it's definitely really difficult to run at altitude, especially uphill, which is like the experience in that part of the country. And I remember like my arms, they just felt numb because we were actually going a lot faster than what I thought they were going. And from what I was used to running, especially at altitude. 
And I like dropped out after like a mile and a half because I thought, whoa, like I don't think I can do this. It's actually a lot more difficult than what you would think. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's like they're making it look so easy that you're like, oh, I I can do this. And then you start experiencing it. And you're like, okay, nope, I can't. No, I can't do that. This is like (laughs) faster than my my race pace. (laughs) Which actually, you know, it's, it's interesting to even say that because that just, you know, that just that's for scale, like just to give context of how talented and how fast these runners are. Yeah. And another interesting thing that I experienced, I went to three races um, and it was kind of wild to me to see how deep the talent is. And I remember having a discussion with Coach Zhang about, you know, if if you Go to a race in the U.S., for instance, the elite and sub-elite pool is like rather small relative to a race in Kenya where it seems like everybody is elite. And that was so unique to see. It was so unique to see. And was this was this true for um, the, the races that you witnessed in Kenya? Are they marathons? Are they shorter track races? I'm, I'm curious where the depth is. Or it's probably everywhere. Yeah, I didn't witness any marathons. One was um, like a youth championship um, track meet. And the other was a cross-country race, which was so crazy to see. Because that was like, I ran cross-country growing up. And this was like a whole different world of cross-country that I've ever experienced. I mean, it was like real mud, real hills, and like real speed. It was crazy. Yeah, I also ran cross country in high school and college, and it always was one probably my favorite of the three sports um, between indoor track and outdoor track. And I just love the like the the bare knuckle brawling that is cross country you know, through the elements and this, the team aspect to it. It's just incredible. Well, the cross country race was particularly interesting because it was like, well, it was. Kenya versus like a few elite Europeans who are actually like the top, the top runners in their country. So like European Olympians versus Kenyans, and they would be at the back of the pack. So like that also, just for context, I mean, that also illustrates just how talented and how fast they are. You have like an elite Olympic marathoner from Europe being at the back of the pack of this like cross-country race in Kenya. It was so interesting to see. And speaking of depth, there are so many amazing athletes to come out of Kenya. Um, And and one of the aspects of your book that I loved was this through line between Coach Patrick Sang and Elliot Kipchoge. And and you have the story about how when he was a kid, Kipchoge saw Patrick Sang compete and it really inspired him. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how Sang and Kipchoge's paths crossed? So Elliot and Coach Sang are from the same area, Kapsisiwa. And the story is uh, Coach Sang was coaching one day when Elliot saw him and he approached him and, you know, he kind of like pitched himself as a budding athlete. And uh, from what I'm aware, he wasn't intimidated to, act, to ask Coach Sang for a training program. Um, and you know, they were pretty much neighbors. And so, uh, coach saying, uh, Elliot had told me that coach saying, um, went to his car and he was searching for a pen and paper, but he couldn't find either. And so he just got a stick and he wrote it on his arm. It was like a training program for 10 days. And, um, Elliot went home and copied it into a notebook. And I have this note in the book where, um, I'm not sure if everyone's aware of this, but Elliot, he writes down every single workout. And so he has a notebook from like every season um, of his training. And so like that was really um, how he started keeping a notebook. It was from like that experience. Um, so he gets his training program for about 10 days and then he returns to Coach saying and he's like, well, what's next? And so that's kind of how it started. I love that he approached this former Olympic runner and coach to some of the best runners, not just in the country, but in the world as this sort of no name aspiring runner. 
and just had the audacity to say, hey, can you give me some workouts? It's like if there's ever any any evidence to shoot your shot and and have some confidence in yourself, there it is right there. I'm not sure if we'd be seeing Elliot Kipchoge as we do today if, if he didn't take that chance. Yeah. And actually, when I interviewed Elliot last May, we were talking about how he doesn't he told me that he he doesn't think that he would have segued into the marathon if it wasn't for Coach Sang, and that he doesn't believe that he would be the athlete that he is if it wasn't for Coach Sang. I think that they have a really unique and really beautiful relationship. It's so you know that photo of Elliot at the Berlin Marathon the first time he broke the world record of Elliot and Coach Sang hugging like that. That right there, I think, really illustrates their relationship. It's a, one of the most beautiful sports photos I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I love that. You know that photo? You know that photo I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Elliot is wearing white uh, yes. arm warmers yes. and he's hugging them um, from, it's like a side view of the photo. And and what was, has always struck me about that photo that I just can't look away from is his smile. The absolute pure bliss and joy on that man's face. And, and the fact that he gets to share it with with Coach Sang in that moment, I just think it's so special. It is. It definitely is. And there's, I feel like I can look at that photo and it'll make me emotional. There's just like so much there. There's so much to that photo. And yeah, I love looking at it. Yeah. And I, and I love the fact that he maybe would not have gone into the marathon if it wasn't for Coach Sang. And, and Elliot is obviously, I think, a marathon specialist He's far better at the marathon than he was as as a middle distance runner. Uh, can you talk about that pivotal moment right there? Because there was a section in your book where, you know, you're kind of recounting this conversation between the two of them, and he just wasn't sure what was next. And meanwhile, I'm I'm kind of thinking, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm like, go to the marathon, go to the marathon, Elliot. And finally, that's just sort of like a, hey, why not try the marathon? Like it was just this crazy idea. Was was he hesitant about moving up to 26.2 miles or was it not really uh, a common path to take? I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, as far as I know, he wasn't hesitant. Of course, uh, the training obviously shifted pretty dramatically but from what I am aware of he wasn't hesitant and if anything you know like he looked forward to the challenge something really different yeah for sure that's that's his mentality right he he certainly does not shy away from those kinds of challenges right yeah another thing that that is interesting to me about the juxtaposition is is this whole difference between the seriousness of how these athletes approach their training. And, you know, you were speaking to that earlier. While at the same time, Elliot Kipchoge in every interview is like the happiest guy. He's always smiling. He smiles in races. And, and it just seems like he can be happy about his, his running, which is his job and, and this like sort of life calling for him because he's so serious about it, because he takes it seriously and is able to you know, really devote himself to it. And I, I was wondering if you could speak to that phenomenon of just him being, you know, this like kind of happy-go-lucky guy, but at the same time, he's also very serious. Well, I think what is unique to see about him is, and this is something that he, his training partners and coach saying talk about is that he is so mentally tough. He's so mentally tough and hyper-focused um, in a way that really inspires everyone around him. Um, yeah, I just think that, you know, he had told me that he likes to live a humble lifestyle and that is what helps him not feel stress. And when you're not stressed, you're able to really focus your effort and your energy Um in a way that is super necessary to be successful in the sport. Yeah, I struggle with that personally because I've found that some of my best running was when I had so few responsibilities in life. And, you know, I have kids, um, you know, I, I run the strength running business and, and th those are big responsibilities and take up a lot of my time and, and also just psychological bandwidth. 
And, and I find that it gives you less opportunity to really pour yourself into the training. So I can see how, you know, if you want to be the best you can be, you know, you got to, you got to leave your partner, abandon your kids and, and really just focus on, on your running. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you don't have to leave that. your partner and abandon your kids, but you know, they are. <laughs> so Jeffrey Kamawar, he described being at camp as like being at their office. So they do see their families um, on the weekend and they do, you know, they do have partners and they have kids and they spend time with them. So it's not like, I don't want to use the word abandon because I think that's rather harsh, but um you know, it is, it is the, the, the training camp is like their office. Yeah. And of course I was just joking there. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll keep my kids around. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah, I'm curious, you know, after, after you sort of took on this big project, you went to Kenya, you spoke with some of the best runners and, and coaches in a sport ever. Have you changed your thinking about the sport of running? You know, how has your perspective evolved since writing this book? One of the most interesting observations I had um, was it was a training session in December 2021, and it was a 40K run around Captagat on a route that is described as the Boston route because of how hilly it is. And I remember watching um, an 800-meter specialist do the entire route 40K, and I thought that was really unique to see because I don't normally see an 800 meter runner running 40K. And so I've actually thought about this um, training session uh, ever since I watched it, you know, during some of my training runs, um, because it just says so much about the mental component of the sport. And for me, it kind of made me think about if I'm ever like, going through a hard moment or like I don't have the energy to run like is it is it really in my head if that makes any sense and so I think one of the things that uh I really took away from my experience in Kenya is just how important the mental component is and mental strength is and how far that can really carry you yeah for sure what do they say running is 90 percent physical and the other half is is mental I think that was an old Babe Ruth quote. <laughs> That's what they say. Yeah. But, you know, again, like it was really unique to see a mid-distance runner going out and just running 40K. Because at the time he had, um, uh, I was told that he wanted to lose a little bit of weight. And so like that was, you know, he did it because, you know, that was what he had to do to move that direction. But the fact that he was running 40K and he did it, so the altitude, I think, was like 8,200 feet. Um, and it was, he did it uh, in two hours and 51 minutes. Okay. Which so I thought was really impressive. So that equates to approximately a three-hour marathon. It's like six fifty-four minute miles um, from what I saw on his watch. Which like, you know, like, <laughs> it's pretty casual to go out and do that. Especially like if you're, if you specialize in, 800 meters. I was like, wow. Not to mention the altitude of, of that is, is just staggering. You know, we have a somewhat heralded route here, uh, up in Boulder. That's the, the mags kind of famous run. It's, it's often used by the university of Colorado, Boulder cross country team. And it's very similar to this Boston route. It's a dirt road up at uh, around 8,500 to 9,000 feet altitude. Uh, and it's just rolling dirt hills for miles and miles and miles. And it just sounds like exactly the same kind of, uh, kind of a venue and kind of brings me back to this little bit of a comparison between Boulder and, uh, these places in Kenya where such a big part of the culture revolves around running. And, and it seems like, you know, you, you witnessed these amazing athletes immerse themselves in the sport so that they could really focus on it and, give themselves to running and, and you came away with it with a little bit of extra mental toughness, you know, it rubbed off on you, it seems like, and, and I got to say, reading the book, it rubbed off on me too. And it's almost like we just got to get some proximity to these mindsets, these ways of thinking about the sport because they're so powerful. I mean, they can be transformational, how you 
interact with running, you know, how motivated you can be, how consistent you can be. Because if you're not motivated or consistent with your training, you know, you're probably not going to really reach too many of your goals. So, you know, I, I think one of the big, um, the big value propositions of your book is that I am just fired up to train. You know, I just, I just love reading about these athletes and, and the things that they're okay with, you know, they're okay living very simply and working so hard. And it just makes me not want to complain about a single thing. Yeah. I would say like another thing that I walked away with from my experience in Kenya is just, it was, I just appreciate, I appreciate these athletes so much more. Like when you have an understanding of why, what the, what it took to get to the start line and what that represents and, you know, how important it is for them to succeed because they also give back to their community and they want to improve society. And I think that's something else that, you know, I really, I just really valued and I really appreciated learning about, you know, what it takes to actually get to the start line. Yeah, it's almost like they're they're not just in it for themselves, right? They're in it to better their communities because distance running is this opportunity for a better life. And, you know, with sponsorship and, you know, uh, winning race fees and things like that, th- there's such a great opportunity for them to improve their community. So for me, it's almost like, you know, part of this drive comes from a much bigger why than just, I want to run fast. This is, I want to get back to my community. I want to improve the lives of the people around me, the people that I care about. And I don't think there's too many more powerful things that you can have as motivators than that. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a section in the book in which I um, talk about an athlete's experience running the Amsterdam Marathon. And um, we had a conversation about, um, he said that someone helped him get to where he is and he feels it's necessary to pay it forward. And, you know, that can come in different forms, such as contributing to someone's school fees or providing them with equipment such as running shoes or athletic gear to support their training or maybe helping them financially with rent or money toward food, etc. And it's just really nice to see that uh, there is such a communal um, aspect, a communal um, mindset that's at play. And it's not just about, it's not just about running. There's more to it. Yeah. And I, I think that's such an important point. And, you know, really, Sarah, for me, your entire book is, is a book of wisdom. You know, you're not going to find workouts or splits or very much training theory in the pages of your book, but you are going to learn the building blocks of what it takes to achieve your potential to maybe scratch the surface of what you might be able to accomplish in this sport. If you immerse yourself, if you focus and really dedicate yourself to it. And that might be the most valuable training advice that you can get anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, the entire time I was writing the book, I couldn't help but think about how it related to my experiences of training for a marathon. So I've run 14 marathons. And, you know, a marathon is an event that you have to, you just have to put in the work, even if it hurts and it takes so much time and you're exhausted, like no one's going to do it for you. You just have to go through the process. And so, you know, writing a book is you have to be really dedicated and really focused. And I couldn't help but equate um, certain milestones as I was hitting certain word counts to, okay, this feels like I made it to a 5k or a 10k. I'm halfway there, 20 miles in. Um, I just saw or experienced a lot of parallels in that regard. Yeah. I've always said that running is such a great preparation for so much of life that man, if you can, if you can improve as a runner and dedicate yourself to the sport, like you are just not going to have too many other barriers in your life. You're going to have the the mindset and the the work ethic to succeed no matter what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the marathon and something that I really appreciate about having done it so many times is that you just build 
your confidence in a way that makes you feel like you can do anything. And it also has taught me to reframe my perspective on like how I navigate a situation. So, you know, I've said this before, I don't think of a problem as a problem. I just think of the idea of troubleshooting and asking, you know, it's not a question of can I do this? It's how can I do this? And I think running, particularly the marathon, has really taught me to think like that. For sure. It's a microcosm of life, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Sarah, this has been such a fun conversation. And uh, I, I really hope everyone checks out your book because it's it's just a beautiful story. Um, and and I do, I do just kind of want to, uh, I, I just want to say that your writing style is was just a pleasure to read. Uh, you had this really interesting prose that, you know, you varied your sentence structures in a way that just kept me reading and had a very conversational flow to the writing. And so, you know, sometimes I read a book and man, the content is great, but the writing can use a little work, but my God, your writing is just beautiful. So I want to end with that. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's, that's a really lovely compliment. Thank you. Yeah. So we share the sun. Uh, it's available. Where's it available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Amazon, Noble. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ask your local books, bookseller if, if they carry it or request that they carry it. Uh, Cause I, I think this is a really special book, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And that's our show today, my friends. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or running club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com coaching. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. If you use their links or discount codes, you'll not only support the Strength Running Podcast, but you'll indicate to them that they should continue sponsoring the show. First, I know I've talked in the past about my resistance to supplements before and how excited I am now to finally find a supplement company that I trust. Prevenex is what I think is the best kind of supplement company that you can find. But what really sold me on their products were two things. First, I took the products myself consistently. And even though I was skeptical that I was actually going to feel the benefits in that short period of time, it was about six weeks or so. I did. I genuinely felt better and I had more energy throughout the day. But even more than that, I've seen incredible testimonials from so many runners on the health and performance benefits that they've experienced to greatly help their running, from more energy and stamina while running to faster recovery post-run. I'm a big fan of the multivitamin and their immune support, both of which are going to fill some nutrient gaps and needs and give you broad-based antioxidant support. And that's going to help you push harder and recover quicker when you're training hard. But there is one product I want to highlight today, and this is a product that many runners consider to be the joint supplement for runners. It's called Joint Health Plus, and you can read reviews for yourself on Prevenex.com. And I've also shared a bunch of testimonials on our latest YouTube video. And, And these are actually from athletes who have used the Jason 15 code that code is going to save you 15%. So these are very recent reviews from listeners of the podcast who are experiencing real joint health benefits in, like they say, just seven to 10 days. It's it's pretty incredible. So let's talk about Joint Health Plus. Why is this so great for runners? Well, the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in seven to 10 days. Beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And the Prevenex CEO emailed me another review, this one left by Strength Running Podcast listener Diana. She wrote, I've been taking Prevenex joint health for over two weeks and can feel the difference. My knees are less stiff and achy. I ran a half marathon this past weekend without knee pain. I've had steroid injections and gel shots. It did not get the relief I am getting with Prevenex. Wow, I love that. So if joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matter to you, check out Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits yourself. Go to Prevenex.com 
That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And use code Jason15 to save 15% on your first purchase. And best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you don't feel the benefits, you can return the product, no questions asked. Again, that's Jason15 for 15% off at Prevenex.com. We're also supported by the Gold Coast Marathon in Queensland, Australia. That's coming up on July 2nd of this year. Go to goldcoastmarathon.com.au to sign up today. You're going to get yourself a memory of a lifetime. So commit to this amazing destination race in one of the most beautiful countries that I've ever visited. You can run the marathon or any distance down to 5K, but the marathon course itself is flat and fast. It only has 75 meters of elevation gain. And over 60% of finishers self-report a PR at the end of the race. Now, I spent six weeks in Australia exactly a decade ago, and one of those weeks was in Coolangatta, which is in the Gold Coast. The beaches are stunning, the people are super friendly, and the natural environment of this region is just so beautiful. It's actually the holiday capital of Australia because of its beaches, theme parks, and rainforests. If I could go back there and run this race with you, I would in a heartbeat. The Gold Coast Marathon is also a World Athletics label race, and this will be the 43rd running of it. Get yourself that shiny new PR on a fast course with a destination race you're going to love at the Gold Coast Marathon on July 2nd. Learn more at goldcoastmarathon.com.au. But don't wait, because early bird pricing ends on April 28th. That's our show, runners. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing this show with your friends. Support us by using those sponsor links or discount codes. You can review the podcast, or you can get a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. And if you have a question for me, don't ever hesitate to reach out on any platform. Until next time. <laughs>